podcasters. It's me, Clive Holland, from the Clive Holland Show on Fix Radio. I would love you to tune in and catch me doing my thing Monday through Thursday from midday till 3pm on the planet's only radio station for builders, Fix Radio. Now, on this week's podcast, it was a proper busy one, talking about CSCS card changes with Alan O'Neill. We showed the love on Valentine's Day as I asked what you love most about your job. Uh, the boiler upgrade scheme came into focus with master plumber Jimmy Hendry and even asked you for your favourite go-to butties to close the week off. All in all then, another packed, blooming podcast. Enjoy. This is the Clive Holland Show on Fix Radio. Fix Radio. Uh, you're listening to Clive Holland on Fix Radio across the nation on DAB. And today we're looking at the removal of industry accreditation, or you might know it as grandfather rights, uh, from CSCS cards and the impact of this decision on our industry. Uh, joining us on the line now is a man who may be able to help us understand it and shine a bit of light on it. Uh, it's Alan O'Neill. We spoke to him before quite a long time ago. Uh, he's the head of communications at CSCS. Now, I remember when this came in mid-90s, uh, CSCS card, uh, and it caused quite a, quite a stir when it happened. Uh, now, if I remember rightly, holding the CSCS card was not a legislative requirement. It was entirely up to the principal contractor or, or client whether workers are required to hold a card. Does this actually change the situation now? No, cards still are, are not a legal requirement, but you will find it increasingly difficult to get on site without a valid CSAS card. So for a whole host of reasons, employers and the industry want to move the everybody across to a fully qualified workforce. And the card itself, it's all about ensuring the workforce are, are fully qualified for the job that they're doing on site. So without a card, you will find it increasingly difficult to get onto a construction site. Yeah, and I see the thing is with me being an old geezer, right? I was I was around when Noah launched, so I I always used to I used to used to look at this and go, right, he's brilliant, I like him, his work's great, blah blah blah, and that's how we went. So this is where this industry accreditation or grandfather rights sort of came in, I guess, uh, that you'd say, look, to give this guy a CSCS card because he's brilliant. Now that's all changed. What's the thinking behind the decision? It's all about raising standards and it's all about improving uh, uh, safety on site. Um, this is nothing new, Clive. Um, we have um, been moving the industry towards a qualification for a number of years. Now, we started back in 2010 when we actually stopped issuing new cards under IA. So what we have today is 60,000 cardholders who have a card historically before 2010. And it's those 60,000 that now need to put a plan in place to move off IA by the end of 2024. But as I say, this is nothing new. In 2014, I'm sure a lot of your listeners will remember the CSO, Construction Site Operative Card. Yeah. And we withdrew, we withdrew that card because the individuals didn't need to obtain a qualification. Those cardholders had to move across to a, a recognised qualification. We did it again in 2017 with the construction-related occupation card. Same scenario. They didn't require a qualification. At that time, 340,000 construction workers were moved across to a recognised qualification. And again, in 2019, we withdrew the visitor card. So over the last 10 years, we have moved over half a million construction workers across to a recognised qualification. And that is how we raise standards 
and safety in the industry. So the removal of IA, it really is the last piece of that jigsaw. And it's those yeah. 60,000. So 60, to get this into context, it's 60,000 of 2.1 million cardholders who now need to put a plan in place to move off IA. You've got to understand as well, uh, and I know you'll, you'll know this, Alan, uh, and I have to play devil's advocate here, and that is that we are short of tradespeople and we are going to be shorter coming coming up in the next few years. We're not going to have as many as we could do with. What about many of the older generation who may now be tempted to get away from site work? Uh, these are experienced tradespeople who are now potentially or could potentially turn away from our industry because they don't fancy taking a CSCS card uh, test. Yeah, I, I, I understand that that concern, Clive. Um, but what's really important to remember here is um, the industry in recognition of these individuals' experience. So anybody with a card under industry accreditation, they will have been in the industry 20 plus years. Nobody wants to leave these in, uh, to lose these individuals from the industry because of the experience they have. So an industry task group was set up to look at IA, and their whole and that group was made up of uh, representatives from CITB, from employers, training providers, awarding organisations, and that group. Part of their mantra was to make sure that these individuals they do not need to go to college because they're so experienced. We want to make sure that they can achieve the qualification in the easiest possible way, which will be through assessment rather than having to go to college. Um, and also CITB, they have given an unprecedented level of grants in order for these individuals to achieve their qualifications. So for example, um, if most people under IA are either supervisor or managerial level, um, they're offering 1,250 for a supervisory qualification and 1,500 for a manager qualification. So that is the vast majority of the cost of those qualifications. And they can be done through assessment, which a lot of that can be done remotely online. You won't have to take time off work. And the other really important piece to this, Clive, is not everybody needs, needs a CSAS card. In the time they've been in the industry, they have um, um, they have changed roles. They've moved into an office-based environment. Um, they've become managers. Some of them are even now in leadership roles. And they're not visiting site on a daily basis to work on the tools. So those individuals do not require a CSAS card at all. So so there, there are some really straightforward, simple routes out of IA for many of these cardholders. Okay. Uh, so we're running out of time, sadly, Alan. Um, what is the process for someone who does not have uh, the CSCS card, uh, probably have got the AI, uh, the grandfather rights, and they want to get one or somebody interested yeah. in coming into the industry, of course. Yeah, well, well, for anybody who's under IA, I would recommend that you get your plan. If you need a quality, if there isn't already a card for you to move on to, you need to get your plan in place before the end of 2024. Um, visit the CSCS website www.cscs.uk.com forward slash IA. Also talk to your employer because, as I say, there's an unprecedented level of grant that is now available for these individuals to achieve their qualification. That's Alan O'Neill there, uh, the head of communications at CSCS. Fix Radio. Fish, bash, bosh. Now, we're looking at the decision from the powers that be today to remove the grandfather rights from CSCS cardholders, meaning many who have worked on sites their whole careers now will be unable uh, or unable to actually carry out that work without a CSCS card. Uh, joining us on the line now is a man who will certainly have an opinion on this, uh, running sites, many of them, on a day-to-day -day basis. 
It's our good friend, Ian Hodgkinson from Hodgkinson's Builders. Mate, look, the, the one thing I remember when CSCS cards came in in 1995, right, it, it caused a bit of a dilemma simply because um, it wasn't actually a legislative requirement to have it. And I always remember with my old man, he'd always say, oh, no, I'm employing him because he's brilliant and look at all the experience he's got, blah, blah, blah. What he would have thought of it in 1995, I don't know. Uh, but certainly it caused a bit of a, a dilemma for us. Uh, now, in your case, uh, you know, thinking about it, um, it obviously it provides proof that individuals working on a UK construction projects have appropriate training and qualifications for the job they do. But how do you see the change in the rule affecting you overall? No, absolutely, Clive. Um, yeah, I, I I remember them coming in in '95 as well, and uh, and the and the furore that uh, that absolutely caused. Um, and we got, you know, a lot of people were able to go and do the, t uh, the, the test. And I got my black CSCS card by grandfather rights. I'm a, I'm a grandfather by trade and grandfather by name as well. You know, I, I can see the point on both sides. Now, there's going to be people on site that have never taken an exam, that don't pick a pen up very often, um, that are actually uh, sort of scared of, of, of doing some sort of test. And I can see it putting a lot of people off. They know how to do the job. They'll know how to do the job inside out, back to front, upside down. But, but when it comes to doing a bit of a test, it'll scare them to death, Clive. I know what you're saying, and I think at the minute as well, because we're so, we're so short of of, of uh, tradespeople, uh, uh, and, we're, and we're trying our best to attract them in. I'm just thinking to myself, yeah, for somebody that's just coming into the industry and so on, they need their CSCS card maybe. But if it isn't. A, le uh, a legislative requirement, in fact, legal. Therefore, why do we need it? No, abs abs absolutely. It's, it's the main contractors group that uh, introduced this in '95, and and it was a way really of uh, uniforming the work workforce. I've had bricklayers come on site and work for me, and you can spot them straight away within half an hour. They're not doing the job right, so yeah, you know, so sorry lads, you know, you're going to have to have to leave. We we've had bricklayers walk on site. Uh, with CSCS cards and still not doing the job right because yes. because they yeah, they, yeah they've actually been laying bricks on the knees and I said pal I'm so, I'm sorry but you don't you don't lay bricks while you're on your knees so I don't I don't care whether you've got a CSCS card or not you're not working for me mate I'm I'm sorry uh, it, it's it's just you're dead right it's not illegal it's not legal but it's a requirement for the main contractors group I I, I think if if you don't watch it they'll put a lot of people off. Um, and they shouldn't be getting rid of grandfather rights. I run the course. I follow the rules. So, so every, everybody that comes on our site has got a CSCS card. But yeah. I have got, I have got a feeling, you know, for for, for some of the guys. Um, and I know we've got some brilliant, brilliant tradesmen. But will they want to do a test? Probably not. But because of grandfather rights, they can. They, they've got the card, so they can come on site. I know the good ones, and I know the bad ones, and I know what to do about it. That's the brilliant Ian Hodgkinson there from Hodgkinson's Builders, our very good friend. Clive Holland on Fix Radio. You're listening to Clive Holland on Fix Radio across the nation on DAB. Uh, now then, uh, today we're talking about uh, the fact that it's Valentine's Day, okay? And I'm asking you what you love most about your job. Uh, now, one man who certainly does uh, love his job, I know he does, you can always tell when he talks about it, is on the line right now, and he's a very good friend of this very show. Uh, it's uh, Dave Finnegan from Elwood Enterprises. Dave, are you feeling the love, son? Feeling the love today, mate. How can you not? <laughs> How can you not? What do you love most? If you could 
if you could pick something that's at the pinnacle of your job, what do you love most about it? Uh, genuinely, the variety from the- job to job, site to site, the different variety in what I do. Um, I'm not some. I, I, I couldn't think of anything worse than seeing the same four walls every day and doing the same thing and, and you know staring at a computer screen or whatever. Like I, I love to be out and about. I love going from place to place. I love the fact that I've got the freedom to pick and choose where I go to work. Um, not obviously, you know, what hours I choose to work because I think like most tradespeople, we um we become self-employed or start our own businesses to uh to be able to work the hours we want to work and then we just work every hour. Everyone goes in with that side with, with that same mindset, <laughs> yes. but no, we work yes. more hours than everyone else. But I did. we do it because we love it, mate. And if we didn't love it, we wouldn't do it. It's, it's all consuming. It's all consuming. It's getting the balance right, but I did exactly the same. Uh, now, does Valentine's Day put? Do you feel like you're under a bit of love pressure to do the right thing on Valentine's Day? Uh, it, it should be an all-round thing, shouldn't it? Yeah, it should be an all-round thing, and, I, and I, I, I'm one of them as well, mate. I, I, I do see it as a bit of a you know a hallmark holiday and a bit of a cop out and stuff like that. But it's an excuse, is what it is. You like you don't get enough excuses to do nice things throughout the year. So whether it's you know, go out for a nice meal or exchange a present or, you know, a little bit of a of, of an excuse to plan an early night. Yeah. Then uh, I think I think it's a good thing, do you know what I mean? But um, yeah, the one too. thing not to be underestimated is is how good some of the cards and presents are now in the local petrol stations. I think they've really upped their game and, uh, and really helped out the hard-working trade person. <laughs> <laughs> Look, we're trying to we're trying to avoid the petrol stations here, Dave. Right? But have yeah, you remembered to get your other half something? Have you? It's not going to be a last minute dash tonight, is it? To the petrol no, station. I did it this morning. Left. I did. I did it this morning. I had to go into the petrol station to get my lunch, so I sorted out a little present while I was in there. <laughs> <laughs> And then got a disgusted look from Brandon, my apprentice, when I got back into the van, saying, have you not got that already? Are you not prepared? I was like, why do I need to be prepared? It's still Valentine's Day. I've got it today. I'm coming home, you know, coming home with a present. So, happy days. Everyone's a winner. <laughs> Dave, honestly, mate, I was not expecting that answer. Where are you today? What are you up to? Uh, just finishing off a bit of brickwork, finishing off a bit of skirting. We're in, within the last couple of weeks of, um, of a renovation now, so it's lots of little tying toy, up bits that we've got to do, just ticking off stuff off the list every day. Brilliant, mate. Thanks so much for sparing the time. Uh, that's the brilliant Dave Finnegan there from Elwood Enterprises, uh, top all-round geezer, and uh, we're showing the look. Fix Radio, ish, bash, bosh. Hello there. Hopefully you're enjoying the podcast that you're currently listening to. And if you are, make sure you download the Ball Builders one. That's me and Sam, that is. Just search the Ball Builders Breakfast wherever you get your podcast from. Because if you don't, we'll send the lads round. Fix Radio-ish, bash, bosh. Today, we are spreading the love on Valentine's Day and asking what it is about your job that you love the most. On the line right now... Uh, is a man that um, is, and we know listens to the show, messages into the show as well, uh, and it's his first time. So look after him, show him the love, put your arm around him. Uh, it is Scott from Bros Carpentry. Scott, welcome for the first time. You've popped your cherry. I have. Thank you. <laughs> what is it about being a carpenter that you love the most? Being a carpenter for me. Um... It's, it's being creative. It's being able to walk onto a job and start from skirting boards all the way up to the roof. Um, 
And the second fixed side of life as well. You can be so, so creative, and I absolutely love it. So we go from sort of MDF um, alcove units, and we, we install those sorts of things. It can, it can be so simple, from just a little cupboard, all the way to sort of decorative mouldings up on the ceilings. It, it's such a creative job. And I guess that's what I love the most about our job. We're not just coming in and uh, whacking a coat of paint on the wall. Um, yeah, it's got to it's gotta be just being creative for me, getting all those tools out of the van, Yes, it's brilliant. Like today, for instance, we have completely and utterly emptied the van of tools, and we're uh, we're creating a sort of custom architrave and custom skirting. And uh, yeah, it's been creative getting all those writers out, getting all the uh, all the different yeah. cutters set up. It's uh, it's fantastic, and we all uh, we're all really enthusiastic towards it as well. So uh, and yeah, being able to stand back, being able to stand back and look at your work and appreciate it as well. It's not like I always say this is a this is a problem for like electricians and plumbers and stuff. Most of their work is hidden, whereas yours is there. It's for all to see, uh, and and sometimes for all to pick fault with as well. Occasionally, uh, now of course it's Valentine's Day today. Okay, uh, I'm taking it. I'm taking it. You, I'm gambling here. You've got a better half. I have got a better half. I have. <laughs> now, yes. the, the next question is. <laughs> the next question is. Have you managed? Hopefully, you're not going to go to a petrol station. Uh, get for emergency flowers before you go home. So hopefully you're all sorted and loved up. Yes, I am all sorted, loved up. Married uh, three years now. We've uh, yeah, we've managed to get ourselves into a little bit of a position in our relationship where we we don't really uh, we don't do Valentine's Day. A uh, bit boring, but uh, saves me buying the uh, petrol station flowers, I suppose. I think it's just for occasionally for those who maybe just take it for granted and just think, oh, this is a day to sort of you know check in but i like that you know that, that you you don't do it and you don't follow that protocol yeah that's it and it's important that that conversation is had you, you don't just wing that that must yeah. be discussed yeah yes. exactly because exactly. you're in trouble if you do yeah exactly. yeah that's a great idea yeah yeah don't all of a sudden go oh i've decided today on valentine's day you're not getting anything. yeah on the day <laughs> exactly uh mate listen great talking to you scott uh, where are you today? What are you up to? We are in Gloucester and we're running a load of second fix carpentry into a house renovation. That's where we're at. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram as well. It's bros.carpentry. Thank you so much, Scott. Enjoy the rest of your day. Uh, that's Scott there from Bros Carpentry. Popping his cherry on the Clive Holland Show on Valentine's Day of all days. Clive Holland on Fix Radio. You're listening to Clive Holland on the Clive Holland Show on Fix Radio across the nation on DAB. And today we're talking heat pumps and the boiler upgrade schemes potential for success uh joining us on the line now is a man who will know a thing or two about this uh, not just as a plumber but as a master plumber and it's friend of the station jimmy hendry uh jimmy first of all before we go into this right i just want to we've had some messages in already into the into the studio um just just listen to this this is coming from myla coco 55 on instagram uh, and it says okay. um heat pumps can work in the right property most of the housing stock in the uk is victorian georgian 1920s 1980s without cavity walls without heat proofing drafty single glazing how do we retrofit all of these at what cost and to whom uh, we must have the correct infrastructure in place before being forced to change to something that probably would not be effective or efficient what what do you think to that first and foremost very good point uh, most of the accommodation we have got isn't suitable for it. And when people look at it, they go, oh, we'll, we'll fit you a heat pump. And I've seen some horrendous heat pumps getting fitted. And 
they're, you know, they're single glazed properties, uninsulated, and it's just not going to work. There's too much adventitious air. You know, we've got rid of a lot of the free air that moves around the house these days. I moved into a new house last year, and it has a carbon dioxide detector in it because we've kind of sealed that house up. It's a sealed unit now, and it's got rid of all that. You know, the adventitious air is air that comes in through gaps in the door, gaps in the floor, etc., etc. natural ventilation. And too many of these houses still have it. You're getting a background heat, really. I don't think we've really got any concern with that because it's certainly not, not the way, if you look, at, you look properly at it, it's not the way the industry's going. Now, in terms of the deadline, so by 2025, no new builds will have been installed, uh, gas boilers I'm talking now, and from mm-hmm. 2035, they will cease manufacture. So you can still get the parts for years to come, but you won't be able to buy one off the shelf as such. Now, do you think these deadlines the government have given for ceasing the production of gas boilers, do you think it's realistic? Not at all. Too many companies at the moment are looking at hydrogen boilers, Clive. They're, they're, they're going down, they're putting a lot of money, a lot of research into hydrogen. And, I mean, the government have pumped $9 billion into hydrogen. They've appointed themselves a hydrogen champion. And that is the way the industry is going. It is going to go down the hydrogen route. The government cannot make money from heat pumps. The only way they can do it is a solid method and hydrogen. They're, they're bringing natural gas in, removing the hydrogen from it and using that. It's a derivative of natural gas, the hydrogen they're going to be using. And if you look at the British Gas website, they have got a plan for it already, whereby they're going to be installing hydrogen gas boilers by the end of this decade and they're looking at a full hydrogen network by the mid-2040s. But it is certainly the way the government are looking at, because it's that going back to a fossil fuel or a derivative of a fossil fuel that will bring the investment in that they want. You're saying that hydrogen heat source is going to be the future as well. What, you know, in your own, you you say you'll be retired by then. Okay. But, Hmm. But what do you think the success of that would be? I think it'll be very successful because all you're doing is linking linking your boiler up to another gas, pretty much. Everyone everyone knows how to run things on gas. We've got gas safe register. And the government are never going to allow the gas industry to die on its knees in the next 20, 30 years because too many jobs are dependent on it. You look at big companies like Cadent Gas. Uh, you, you've got the Scottish, the Scottish Gas Network, you know, SGN. I'm looking at them. You're talking about a multi-billion pound industry, the gas industry. There is no way the government, or with it being such a reliable way to bring in revenue, there's no way the government will let that die. And that's why they have, as I said earlier, you know, invested nine billion and appointed a hydrogen champion because this is what they want. They've invested 450 million, a fraction of the cost, in heat pumps because they know they cannot make money from it. Wow, I tell you what, Jimmy, uh, it's explosive, isn't it? I mean, gases anyway, but uh, I mean, for <laughs> me, that that is, that, that is something that's going to get tongues a-wagging, because I think as well, we're talking, my next question to you was, is now a good time to get training to install air source heat pumps? But you're trained to install air source heat pumps that may or may not succeed. Let's say, let's say success rate is 50-50, and now we're talking about hydrogen, uh, on top of that, um, what, what would you say to anybody that's a gas installer now? Uh, would you would you sort of say, look, go down the route of air source and train for that or not? I would say no. Uh, any courses that any of my friends have been on, uh, they look at them and go, "What value are you really getting for them? You're not really getting. You're not really picking up the knowledge that you need at the end of the day, unless you're intensively doing it. And I mean, there are plenty of companies that intensively install these things, but 
up here in Scotland, you do not have to be off tech registered. It is not a it is not a legal requirement as it is in England. And many many plumbers there just don't bother. They've been doing oil for years, so they think, well, why bother on something which is kind of, you know, it's voluntary whether or not you join it. So they don't bother. And I think the same is going to be with heat pumps. Everyone who's installing gas boilers at the moment are going to stick with gas because they're also looking at the hydrogen plan, the long-term hydrogen plan that the government's got in place, the British gas have got in place. Uh, I mean, you get rid of gas, you're getting rid of gas safe, you're getting rid of Corgi, Corgi Technical Services, SGN, multiple agencies which rely on gas for their core business. And it's just never going to happen. I will. I would put money on it. It will never happen. Jimmy, thanks so much for sparing the time to join us on the Clive Holland Show. Have a great rest of the day. Uh, what an interesting conversation that was for sure. Fix Radio, made for the trade. Hi, I'm Thomas Nagy. If you're enjoying this Catch Up With The Electrical Show podcast, we discuss everything that matters to the electrical industry across the UK with new episodes out every Thursday from 4pm. The Clive Holland Show on Fix Radio. Today we're looking at the boiler upgrade scheme and whether or not it's effective. Uh, joining us on the line now is a man on the front line actually installing heat pumps as a Panasonic Pro partner. It's Danny Wakeman. Uh, now he's the operations director of CG Plumbing and Heating, and it's great to have him on the show. Uh, just before we get into this, I've just had a, a, a we've had messages in already, obviously to the show. Uh, this coming from in, on Instagram from Woodworking Labs, and they said this. Um, they think that it's not going to work. The after sales and technical assistance is not anywhere near what is required, along with getting spare parts. If things fail, it can be weeks or months uh, because it's not just off the shelf. Is Are there any difficulties in it? I mean, there's got to be some glitches, aren't there? It depends really on your on your supplier and the manufacturer. Um, as a scenario, this week recently on site, we had a, um, we had a panel damaged on one of the one of the heat pumps we installed, the uh, Panasonic units. And um, within 48 hours, I had a part over from Italy. So it depends who your supplier is and, you know, who your rep is and what what, um, what you're using, really. Now, in terms of your, your Panasonic Pro partner, um, and, and you decided, because obviously you're in the plumbing and you're still in the plumbing and heating game, but um, a, a couple of questions here. I want to know, how was the training process, the decision you made uh, to go, do you know what? This is the future. I'm going for it. And do you think, in terms of the government, we've we've spoken about this many times, but uh, by 2025, no new builds will be able to install a gas boiler and by 2035 you won't even be able to buy one off the shelf do you think that's probably too soon um in in hindsight i don't think it is really you look at ireland they've been doing it for around about 10 years now i know they're a bit more rural um and they've they come over from the oil to the air to water um but you know say at least we do still install gas boilers at our company in certain scenarios but on the new builds we fit nothing but air source heat pumps now, this seems to be the route the government want to go down, although we are hearing rumours uh, that they want to go down the hydrogen route as well. Uh, would you recommend training? So people who are now installing gas boilers haven't dipped their toe in the water. Um, do you think it's now time for them to probably get retrained and get the installation knowledge now? Honestly, if you invest, if you invest the time now, you know, and you get ahead of the game, it's going to be second to none. You know, there's, there's quite a bit involved in it, um, but it's no no different from, like I say, installing gas boilers. There's a lot more electrics involved. Um, we work very closely with a few electrical firms 
um, ourselves. Um, but yeah, it's just investing the time and getting the knowledge. Now, Danny, you are a Panasonic Pro partner. Uh, tell us all about that, how you got um, linked up with Panasonic. So on our project in Ely, we, um, we had a bit of a shortfall where another air source heat, company, air source heat pump company uh, had a shortfall with stock post-COVID. Um, so we ended up um, coming across uh, a local chap who, who does a lot there to water. He puts in touch with um, Ocean Air, our suppliers, who work closely with Panasonic, Obviously, we've become pro club installers. Um, so, it's, you know, it's a lot of, um, there's a lot of things to offer with Panasonic. Uh, Danny, listen, uh, let us know where you are today, what you're up to. Because I'm, I'm nosy. <laughs> I'm currently on a site in, uh, in Ely in Cambridgeshire uh, for our clients, Palace Green Homes, who are a um, council-backed um, building contractor. Um, and currently commissioning a Panasonic unit myself right now. Uh, that's Danny Wakeman there. Uh, he's operations director of CG Plumbing and Heating. The Clive Holland Show on Fix Radio. The uh, the Sparks have the best uh, lunches on site, usually lobster or caviar, something along those lines. I mean, the scaffolders, usually it's a mill deal from like Aldi or somewhere like that. How's it going, Clive? Danny here from Madden Builders. Now, what's in my lunchbox today? Well, I'll tell you what, on a daily basis, I'm pretty healthy. It's chicken and rice, little side salad. And I mean, since winning Roofer of the Year, little dash of caviar as well on top. Goes down like a treat. But today I'm doing a bit of decorating. So I've got my can of Stella, my pack of Rizla, and I'm ready to go with my sausage roll. <laughs> It's all a bit of fun. Hi Clive, it's Dave here. Um, best lunch for me is on a Monday. I always have roast dinner left over. So I always bring a Sunday roast in on a Monday. So it's a Monday roast. Um, and I also think that the worst lunch I've ever seen is tuna mixed in with tomato ketchup smothered over the top of hot dogs that are warmed up in the microwave and put on hot dog buns. I would not fancy getting my lips around that. It's Dan from the Jabber Knock and you scribe jig. And I would say the best lunch on any building site is a sandwich. I mean, at the minute I'm being healthy and I'm eating like chicken and veg, but it's boring. You can't beat a sandwich. There's not much beats a good classic sandwich. And in terms of who has the worst food, it's anyone. That eats fish on the job or in a cabin then people are psychopaths you can't be trusted if you're bringing fish in and you're willing to warm it up with a group of people there's something wrong with you and it's normally the site foreman or the scaffolders because they're all on loads of creatine they're all trying to lift weights and shouting ug at each other like cavemen other than that, everyone's fine. I love all scaffolders going off for a butty. The worst thing people can have for lunch is definitely anything that contains fish or a stench of fish. And I'm guilty of that as well because now and again I have a little health kick. And uh, on these diet plans, there is usually lots of fish involved. But when you're sat in the cabin and you're stinking the full place out and it's full to bursting with grafters, the last thing they want to be smelling is a load of fish. Fish is the worst thing, especially if it has to be heated up, that you can eat in a cabin full of people who are working hard day in, day out. The best thing, I don't, I'm not sure it's lunch, but it's got to be a spam egg, ash brown and bean sandwich from a cafe. A proper greasy spoon cafe, a proper cafe. 
that you get and you can eat. It warms your cockles, sets you up for the day. It greases up your joints so they can move freely and they're absolutely beautiful. Hi Clive, it's Dave here. Um, best lunch for me is on a Monday. I always have roast dinner left over. So I always bring a Sunday roast in on a Monday. So it's a Monday roast. Um, and I also think that the worst lunch I've ever seen is tuna mixed in with tomato ketchup smothered over the top of hot dogs that are warmed up in the microwave and put on hot dog buns. I would not fancy getting my lips around that. Fix Radio, made for the trade. So, so very much for listening to my podcast. It means the world to me, you know. I hope you enjoyed it and picked up some excellent info from my brilliant guests and fellow colleagues of our industry. Remember, you can listen to me Monday through Thursday, 12 noon till 3 p.m. on DAB via the Fix Radio app and at fixradio.co.uk. Oh yeah, ask your smart speaker to play Fix Radio and come join the fun all day, every day on the only radio station for the construction industry, which is Fix Radio. Well, that's it from me for now. If I don't see you through the week, I'll see you through the hole in my sandwich box. Ta-ra! <laughs>